Hi, and welcome to The Oracle, the podcast about psych-tech, quantified self, and philosophy. With me today is my flatmate and co-founder, Benjamin, and we're going to discuss the current dating market, the current online dating market, the apps that are there, the incentives that are there, and the general process of online matchmaking. Because right now, during the lockdown situation, this is surely an interesting area to watch. So, Benjamin, you have recently checked out all these dating apps again, just to get an overview on what they're doing and what the current status quo of matchmaking is. What have you found? What's on there right now? What's hot and new? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a lot to talk about, I guess. I think I went through almost a hundred different apps. So I try to target them even a little bit wider, not just dating apps, but kind of socializing and matchmaking apps. Like basically uh, in COVID times, like what are the easiest ways to meet new people? And it turns out that 90% plus in my analysis, uh, dating apps. Like there are even some apps that claim not to be dating apps, like language partner apps for learning Spanish or, okay, it's not a good time for the that right now, buddy, but travel yeah. buddy apps, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but usually if you open them and you try them out, like they're full of, uh, if you look for girls, then, you know, like they're full of girls with like bikini pictures or whatever. So you kind of get a dating vibe from almost all of them. I think that was one of the interesting insights I had. Second insight is that there hasn't been that much new that's happening the last few years. So I remember I checked out the whole market in uh, 2015, 2016. And basically the order of apps that are dominating the market is uh, almost the same. I mean, it's categorized maybe a little bit in different user groups. So you have like those mainstream dating apps like Tinder. Bumble is like catching up quite a lot. So you can see in Berlin at least that they have a lot of advertisements now in the in the U-Bahn and, and roll-up posters and stuff. So I think that's a sign that they uh, try to aggressive, more aggressively enter also uh, European markets. Then uh, separate from the mainstream apps, you have apps that are more focused on like long-term relationships, but usually I think mm. more, more mature crowds in terms of age, like uh, 30 to 40 plus. <laughs> you have like eHarmony and at least uh, five to six copycats uh, of them in the German market, <laughs> like Elite Partner and Parship and all those companies. Yeah, but I feel like it's, it's, it's a bit sad, like in the sense that there's tons of offers of different apps. But 80% of the apps that I've come across are, like to put it blunt, uh, just like cheap copies of, you know, like the role models. So there's not much innovation happening in that sense. And I feel like also that uh, the quality of the user base for most apps is either it's it's very low or like non-existing in certain places, or if it's the bigger or mainstream ones, they're not really good or focusing at least on creating like high quality matches. That's mm. my observation in the market. So what do you think is, is missing the most? I mean, this isn't a very good review of the market so far. What do you think yeah. you're making? Well, I mean, first of all, it depends a bit on who you ask, right? So I guess it depends on what your goals are. But I would say that the impression I had through also most articles I read and, and, and through blogs came across also user reviews of most apps that I think most apps are not really like the, the big ones that are used by everyone or like more popular like Tinder or Bumble. They're, I think, still too much of a melting pot in terms of the needs that they try to cover. So first of all, you have a strong disparity in terms of gender ratio. So I think women on average are like 10 to 20 times more likely to get a match than men, like on average, mm. uh, even in a city like Berlin, right, like a more liberal place. So I guess uh, you can imagine how it must be in the rest of the world. So that's one pr problem, I think. And the second problem is there is not really a clear distinction, you know, uh, for most apps. Like, are you looking for just like sexual endeavors, adventures? Um, are you looking for mm. better emotional connection, but something, something short to midterm, or are you really looking for like life partners and like the long-term perspective? And especially apps like Tinder, I feel like they kind of throw this all in the same melting pot. And the key differentiator, if you're using it is, I mean, in terms of the algorithm, it's just, it's, it's photos, like how popular are you perceived by others and or attractive and like age filter. And uh, I think that's basically it. So uh, still lots of room of improvement, I would say.
So you said that there wasn't really much of a change in the past few years. What have these apps done? As far as I know, some of these apps are, are bought by each other and, and like Match.com is a really big big player in this. What do you think the effect is on these buy-ups happening? How does that influence innovation? Well, I mean, looking at other industries, myself coming from the startup space, I think the bigger a company tends to get, <laughs> I would argue, the less likely it is to innovate, right? That's a mm, consequence definitely. of like capital structure, shareholder incentives, also a complexity, increase the complexity in terms of leadership in the company, like and so on. So I would usually say having a public exit is usually a sign of declining rate of innovation, which is fine, I think. I mean, if you have like a really like great product and, you know, it turns into a cash cow, then then there's not, not necessarily a huge need to do to change it, right? Like, don't change a mm. running system, right? Uh, that's profitable. So yeah. I think, <laughs> As they say in IT. Yeah, so from a company perspective, I don't think uh, subjectively necessarily it's bad. It's just like from a user perspective, it's bad if there are not really apps out there that have solved the problem like in a satisfiable way to most users. And I think we cannot expect especially the big fishes like Tinder and so on that, or uh, Tinder, I'm not sure. If, yeah, I think Tinder also had an exit, like they also belong to Match Group. Um, there's a few other ones. I think it's very unlikely that we can expect them to radically change. I think that the, most of the changes they have been conducting the last years, for my observation at least, is uh, monetization features. So uh, <laughs> I think those are the types of innovations they're dealing with. Like how can we turn this, this company into more cash? And yeah. uh, I think they have done a really great job in doing so from, from a shareholder perspective. I mean, I remember because I started using Tinder already like in 2014, 2015. And these days, I hope there's no judgment from others. If for fathers, it's better than uh, I congratulate them. But uh, I think from a, from a male perspective in Berlin, it's very hard to actually even get exposure on Tinder without having a, a subscription. Because I think mm. Tinder is like artificially decreasing or increasing your exposure. Like how many people see your profile actually if you pay or not? That's a smart move from a company perspective, but of course, for, for users, I think it's more frustrating. Also, I feel but that's a very subjective comment um, or observation that for me personally, I feel also the quality of people who use Tinder significantly decreased on average. And my explanation would be it's probably because I, I see myself as an early adopter for new technology. Yeah, and, you know, like t people who use Tinder in 2014, 2015, 2016, like in, in Europe, or I was some, some years in Asia also there. The most open-minded ones were the, the first ones to try out. So there was definitely yeah. a self-selective crowd. And, and that's decreasing now because uh, it becomes more mainstream. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier already, this whole um, having too many people on one app that have different uh, goals and behaviors and incentives is tricky if you don't have an algorithm to kind of keep them a little bit separate in their own bubbles. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, incentives already. Let's talk a little bit about this whole, I could almost say drama that no dating app is really incentivized to give you your marriage partner because then you're kind of dead as a customer. What do you think could happen there uh, so that, you know, the incentive is more, it's more connected to actually meeting someone that is important as opposed to um, the current status quo where companies are incentivized to maximize screen time, which isn't maybe exactly what people are looking for. I, it's an excellent question. I think this is uh, entirely derived from, like the short answer, I think this is de entirely derived from demand. So I think, I mean, companies, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, companies are always focused on making money primarily, yeah. right? Like this is what capitalism and startups are usually about. And I think that's totally fair. So they're focused on making, making money, like they, they create value for users so they can capture it, make money from it. And that in combination with leading companies in a certain segment like Tinder 
as I said, I, don't, I think it's very unlikely that they will change core features of their business model or their, also their product features because people are just like really like used to it and it works. So I don't think it's likely that we can see bigger and more established companies in the market to change the incentives uh, in regards to putting incentives on meeting people. We rather have to look on already existing platforms that try to focus on this more since the beginning, or maybe look at emerging players that don't exist yet. And at Tinder, for example, I would argue, I think that's a prime example. I think they're continuously like optimizing the algorithm for you spending more money and you staying longer on their platform. And you can see this by like most of the features they have introduced in the last few years. They are all around like how much exposure you get. And it's mostly like exposure and yeah, actually, no, it's just exposure, I would say. Everything relates to exposure. It's like you can have super likes, you have a boost functionality. I mean, they also optimize a bit like the design. So it's easier to have this, 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 this wiping experience. It's more playful. So I feel like all their incentives have been around staying longer in the platform and making more yeah. a ga- gamified experience out of, okay, it's also social validation. It's like if I get a match from someone, it's I kind of start use the app when I get bored, you know? And you can see that they have put almost no effort into improving the chat functionality for example mm. at least that's that that was my observation the last four or five years like the chats they're ex- almost exactly the same as on day one which is you can like write people you match with but there's not much focus put on icebreakers or suggesting locations you could meet or you know like <laughs> anything that relates to that and then you have some emer- like some players that follow tinder but try to do it a little bit different from the beginning like bumble i think is a good example i mean bumble is an ex-tinder of one of the first employees there and i mean i think she left tinder because of sexual harassment charges it's like a female founder and bumble incentives for example a bit different in the sense that women have to make the first move in, in writing the first message and chats expire within 24 hours if they're inactive. So I think yeah. that by default already puts more emphasis in terms of the incentive that people have more interactions in terms of chats rather than spending most of their time and just like swiping and having this gamified experience. And Bundle was kind of like a follow-up or like a consequence out of Tinder. So they were basically coming from a Tinder perspective, looking at the situation, be like, okay, how can we make this better as in terms of user experience? And that's why they came up with those features. And the same thing I think could happen again, like if users get frustrated over time and the market gets saturated because Tinder is leading and most other mainstream dating apps pretty much are pretty much the same. And the frustration in people like, you know, increases that they say, oh, actually we get tired of this experience of spending most of the time on platforms, but not really being able to go on dates because people are inactive. Then it's just a matter of time until someone else will arise that tries to focus more on solving that problem. And Mm. the day somebody is able to effectively do that, like to capture the zeitgeist of how to solve this, like, you know, in a scalable way, then I think that leaves room for like new players. I think it's interesting to to see what's going to happen in this space in the next uh, three, four years. Mm. And I could imagine that, especially because of the COVID times right now, that there's like an extra, you know, this kind of brings like a new situation to the table that there might be even a bigger need for like uh, a socializing or like through online methods. Who knows? Maybe someone is right now already working on a new solution. Yeah, the growth is crazy in this market segment, obviously, right? I mean, everything else is closed. Every other opportunity to go on dates, the offline way, the classic way um, is gone. So there should be a lot of things happening right now. Yeah, but it's interesting because if you ask investors like a few years ago what they think of social dating apps, then, you know, their answer like usually would be, no, like this is over. Like, you know, this was from 2000 to 2010. Like this was uh, the time of uh, social social apps and social platforms. And I also can't see it in any like emerging trends that are character, like, you know, trends that are characterized as trends by like others, like VCs, investors, private equity, etc. I don't Hmm. hear like many institutions talking about, oh, there's going to be a new 
wave of innovation in terms of like dating or friendship or social life. Like mostly they're focusing on like blockchain and AI and healthcare. Like those are mm. topics. I think this area is underestimated. I think this might see some super interesting changes here in the next years. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty obvious that the needs in this area are not yet solved, right? Like every person is satisfied with their social license. That's why we don't need new products. I would say they're not solved in a scalable, high quality, like, you know, like a consistent, high quality approach. I think yeah. it's like a pretty fragmented market. I mean, with like a lot of effort, some money spent, a lot of time, you know, and dedication and discipline and frustration tolerance. <laughs> still can get you to the results that you can be satisfied with. I mean, I would also argue in that sense. I mean, at least they give you a massive increase of exposure. I hardly want to imagine how dating was like uh, in the 90s and 70s. I mean, for me, it feels like... How did they even right? do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, without phones, it's crazy times. Yeah. But still, I, I would still say, so you, you just said, well, you know, with a lot of, with some effort and some money, you can solve it. Mm, sure. I mean, you can, you can in some way say this about, about anything, right? You could argue that the iPod wasn't necessary because John Lennon had a, a machine to, to switch the huge yeah, vinyl disc in the back <laughs> of his car for like a million dollars. And it's like, you, you could argue in the seventies, you could listen to lots of different songs and, and skip them. If you, if you had a million dollars and you were John Lennon and you had a Rolls Royce. But the problem is that most people weren't John Lennon. So they were eager to, to buy something like the iPod, which had um, a thousand th songs in a pocket. So, so why isn't there more of an awareness that, yes, you can use digital products or offline products like nightclubs to, to go on dates, but it's nowhere near optimal. Why isn't that a thing? Because I think no one has been able to solve it and present it in the right way yet. Yeah. If you would have asked users a half a year before uh, the iPod was launched, you know, like what improvements they would like to see in terms of music players. I'm not sure if most of them who, like then turn out to be super excited to be about the iPod, you know, been able to kind of predict that this is the type yeah. of solution they like desperately need. So I think yeah. as an entrepreneur, as a company, I think the main challenge is always to kind of have a good sense of the current zeitgeist, like of how certain problems are being perceived. Like it's not enough of a problem like hypothetically exists for people. I think there needs also to be like some sort of pain points, experience pain points attached to, to that. Yeah. You know, and if people like get to a point where like they kind of realize that, you know, for example, like they try out like all dating apps and, And then they just realize over time, well, like most of them suck. And I think this is a current side case of most dating apps. I think the last 10 years, they mm -hmm. opened up a lot of uh, room for curiosity. A lot of people were like, hey, let's try this out, like something new. I mean, there's an entire generation that's kind of yeah. like, born into this and they, they don't even know They don't even know dating like, you know, without doing it online. So for them, it kind of got the new standard. And, you know, like, so there's a lot of things to try out. And I think then there at some point, there's some realization that, It's like the first feedback loops in society that kind of kick in, you know, like of how have most of these apps been performing. And mm. if you just go to the Google Play Store, as an example, and look at the <laughs> top 10 dating apps, then most of the reviews are not that great. You know, there's a lot of uh, bad stigma that goes with it. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like, you know, shitty experience with dates and like weird people there. And, and yeah, a lot of frustrated guys because they don't have matches, you know. So... Plus the matchmaking sucks. That's like another point in my point of view. Like those apps, there's hardly any dating apps existent uh, today. And that's something that I find very interesting to try to come up with some sort of data focused prediction. You know, like I don't want to mm. swipe through like hundreds and hundreds of people in Tinder just based on their photos. Like if I'm looking yeah. for something intellectual, like, I mean, of course, like, if I just look for a hookup, then yeah, fair enough. But no dating apps, or there's hardly dating apps that brand themselves as such, right? They're like, oh yeah, this is like a dating app where you can find your next relationships. Like, why the fuck would I, 
you know, like swipe through like hundreds of profiles based on the photo. To then, it's easily thousands, though. <laughs> like thousands of yeah. women, like just to maybe through some coincidence, then I find some like someone who also turned out to be a good relationship. So uh, mm. I think that's also something that the industry like really lacks. Like if there would be like perfect apps for relationships based on some sort of algorithm, like, you know, like what's your personality, what's your values, like what political opinions you have, what's your humor that kind of gives me like a really handpicked list of who are great leads for me to talk to, like that might turn into like a relationship or something better. Then, yeah. like, if that would be solved, then I think this whole, like, you know, like Tinder based dating apps, they would also have a right to coexist, but I think they should be entirely focused on short-term adventures and just sexual endeavors. Which, which I and entertainment really and entertainment. I mean, we should never forget how how many people are on Tinder to a large part because there's some sort of entertainment value in choosing or, or looking at profiles. <sighs> yes, but is it just? I mean, yeah, they say it's entertainment, but to be honest, I I think it all relates back to to sex in the end of the day. It's like I mean, it's kind of sexual validation, right? It's like oh, oh how yeah. attractive do others perceive me to be, and so it's all somewhat related to sexuality. I would say. I mean, if you live in a very progressive society and sexual Sexuality is no big deal because everyone is just, you know, everyone having a good self-esteem and, you know, like being able to do things in life they want to do. And, and you know, then I don't think this would be such a big deal. I think people would be much more yeah. open-minded about it and less judgmental and just be like, yeah, it's perfectly fine. This is just like an app where you can find hookups. If that's important for you, if it's not important for you, then, well, feel free to go to like app number two, three, four, five that all serve their own bubbles in terms of problems they solve and not try to do mm. all, all together in terms of a huge melting pot that's like super inefficient and, and shady. Yeah, although I'm a big fan of the melting pot idea if it has a good algorithm, right? Like looking at something like Instagram or YouTube, uh, YouTube has lots of different bubbles that never see other parts of YouTube because the algorithm just keeps them kind of separated. But that centralization also gives this one company the power to really have the best algorithm, have the best service, have the best decentralized delivery options and stuff like that. That's true. That's actually a super interesting point. I mean, if you look at it this way, then yes, then it would be a winner takes it all market for sure. Like then it would just be one player that there's no need for a second YouTube, right? There's no need for like yeah, a second Google. There really isn't. Yeah. So that's actually super interesting. Um, Actually, since, since bringing this up, maybe for all the listeners here, I think the best example to see the power of what you've just said is check out a YouTube profile, like from someone you have nothing to do with. Like, you know, like when you're logged in on YouTube, like the video feed you have in the beginning, because I've seen this a few times where people have nothing to do, like at work or something else. Yeah, it's, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's, like a, it's like an entire different world. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or just use an incognito browser window. Then you get the default uh, mainstream YouTube. Good point. Good point. Or, yeah. or, tr or try to adapt it for another country. Like, you know, the default yeah, YouTube yeah. window for <laughs> India like, or China. Like, uh, okay, China's yeah. example, but India is like, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like Chile. Yeah, you could probably literally make a dating app based on having, you know, what's on your YouTube landing page because it's such a precise algorithm in, in keeping you in your bubble. That's interesting. But it's like such a, like, that would be like a really, really sophisticated algorithm. And, yeah. you know, like, I think it's probably much easier to build an algorithm to kind of predict or curate a list of videos, you know, you might be interested in versus people. Yeah, no, people this just, is more, just, more like uh, a joke. Yeah, it's just more complex. You might as well just ask questions, right? Yeah, exactly. Down, down to the point. So um, we talked about stigma a little bit. Um, do you think this could be something that keeps founders from joining the space? I think um, one thing that always bugs me a little bit is that the, the four OkCupid founders all found their wives through offline dating. And um, I mean, a lot of the other founders in the space sold quite early. And so 
there isn't really any, you know, any Tesla where there's a charismatic CEO mm. who maybe maybe optimizes for money, but maybe uh, maybe optimizes for other values as well, or at least optimizes for money in the very very long run. So there's some sort of grand vision for actually getting stuff done instead of just uh, you know the next quarter ahead. Um, yeah, is this stigma keeping the right people, the Elon Musk, to, to join the space? Because I think it, it would be cool to have someone build a dating app with the goal of, of um, you know, reducing divorce rates by ni by 90%. Why not? I mean, actually, there is some examples of founders in that space that have been pretty consistent, in my opinion, with what they started with and what they still stand mm -hmm. for versus like what their own attitude was. The question then is just like what type of founders with goals are they and can you or can the majority of the crowd identify with them in terms of the problems? And I think yeah. the, a famous example is, uh, I mean, Sean Red from Tinder. I think he was a CEO in the early days. Um, <laughs> I remember like uh, there was like this interview with him like a few years ago where he like bragged uh, saying that, yeah, you know, there's like super bot models that want to bang me because I put CEO of Tinder on my Tinder card. So I would say in that moment, Tinder was very honest about what their platform is about. Yeah. It's about a hookup, right? It's about like, yeah, I meet like people I find attractive and I just hook up with them. And more honest, like what he said in an interview, because that's authentic for The mm. thing he had probably himself in mind when building this company, plus him living it, right? The outside <laughs> perspective of Tinder is more like, yeah, it's kind of also a relationship app, and they don't really, they never, they never use the word like sex or a hookup or anything anywhere. Yeah. So they try to make sure like not to get this image. So, so I found it interesting. So I think he was kind of consistent with I think the company actually wants to build at, at least uh, internally. And another example is the founder of eHarmony. eHarmony is mm, um, true. kind of the original like from the US from the 90s, like a super old company. And he was like a partnership therapy uh, psychologist. And uh, he came up uh, with a platform that was, the focus was from the beginning on long-term relationships, like the lead to marriage, or maybe it's like you're divorced or you're like a widow or something. And like, you know, it's like kind of like your second relationship in life. And like for target group it was like 30 to 40 plus. And the cost is also pretty high for this platform to the subscription fee, which probably is uh, because their expectation of the customer value is rather low because they built a platform like with the intention that people don't have to come back that often, but they use it like once or twice in their life and hopefully they find the right relationship. And this was also consistent with him as a founder because uh, I recently found out he's also evangelical Christian. So uh, yeah, you know, mm. that's, that's fairly consistent. And the question is just... And the problem with eHarmony, I would say, is that it's more niche because it focuses more on older people. And like you, you can see the sign-up experience is also horrible. Like you have to spend an hour uh, answering tons of questions before you can actually uh, start using the platform. Like it's definitely designed in a more niche way that it's only for long-term partnerships. And everything that mm. goes in between, if you just want to get to know people and you want it to be uncomplicated or it's like an adventure or something sexual, then I think it's the wrong platform. So I feel like both extremes, you know, in terms of dating needs are kind of covered. I think Tinder cover, mm. covers it quite well, the hookup incentive. And something like eHarmony, I think, covers quite well, well, 40 plus and looking for like a lifelong partner part. The question is just like, you know, what's with the part that's in between? Like what's with, mm. I want to meet someone I have a meaningful connection with, but I don't know, do I just want to have, you know, do I want to get just close with them and have an adventure or do I want to date someone for a year or two and then, then, but seriously with good intentions, date someone, then, you know, just to see what this whole thing turns into. And I think yeah. that, that part probably covers 80% of people's needs, you know, yeah. but that's not really like nicely captured yet by a platform. I think that's where a huge gap is in my opinion. 
Yeah, cool. Awesome. I think that's enough for, for today. Um, I think one of the next episodes should be about what could be done better in terms of matchmaking, because um, I mean, we both care deeply about using psychometrics or algorithms in general to predict compatibility in any sense, not just dating. So yeah, looking forward to discussing more topics with you, Ben. Likewise. Sounds great. Then till next episode. Cheers. Bye-bye.